This morning we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 2 and finishing up the chapter verses 39 to the end. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee into their own, own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Lord, I pray this morning as we get into this portion of scripture that you would open up our eyes and our heart. Lord, that we've read this so many times and we know the story so well. But Lord, this morning I pray that as we listen to your word, that your Holy Spirit would make it a, a revelation to our heart. Lord, that we could understand more clearly and love you more intimately for what you've done. I just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, isn't God good? <laughs> I, love, uh, I love how the King James says this, Did you not know I would be about my father's business? Uh, sometimes this this um, this particular story uh, makes me laugh and freak out a little bit at the same time. I, I find myself putting myself into uh, Joseph and Mary's shoes. I, I don't know. I'm sure all of you guys are better parents than me, but I have left a child behind a time or two. <laughs> and, uh, and and my kids are rotten. So, none of my kids were Jesus. You ever thought to yourself, who do you go to when you've lost the Messiah? You, are you going to pray? Uh, Lord, I lost your son. I don't know. 
And the other thing that really, um, I, three days, it says three days. Have you, I mean, I've only, I've, at most, I've, I've left my kid behind somewhere and forgotten, had to go back and find him somewhere between where I left him and where he was trying to get to and pick him up and uh, tell him I'll try not to forget him anymore. Um, but never for three days. Man, that's a long time, no? I cannot imagine this terror that's going on in their hearts. Uh, it's just mind-boggling to me. When we come to this section, one of the things we see Jesus do is, when his parents find him, he makes this, this statement. Didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? Didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? What's that all about? What is that... What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, let's take a second and, and talk about it a little bit. I think the, the primary or key verse for the book of Luke is Luke 19.10. Luke 19.10 says this. Jesus said, uh, Jesus said to them, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save, what? That which is lost. Now, sometimes we get confused here, and I don't have time to turn it all over for you. I'll just try not to confuse you and make you want to look in your Bible more. Sometimes we think, well, who's the loss? And specifically, if we come and we have this understanding, here is who the lost is, all the nations. All the nations were lost back at the Tower of Babel. No? If you read the Old Testament, in the Tower of Babel, man's rebellion against God, God disinherited mankind, and He let go of all the nations. And he turned them over to their own rulership. He confounded their languages, so they divide and they spread apart. And when Jesus said, I come to seek and to save that which is lost, that's what I think he's talking about. I've come back for the nations. Why do I say that? Because when we get to the book of Revelation, what's he going to say? That the people who are saved are from where? Every tribe, nation, tongue, right? All peoples, everywhere. He came to seek and to save the lost. But there was a way that God was going to do that. The next thing God does in the prophetic plan is He reaches into the nations. Uh, the Bible numbers 70. 70 nations. He reaches in and He pulls out His own peculiar people, right? His own special people. He makes His own nation out of the 70 who are to be a witness to the 70. So that one day, down the line, He would be able to redeem the 70. He'd get them all back. Only he'd get them all back, not in rebellion against him, but in submission to him. That's what salvation is all about. God's been working that plan from the beginning. When we see the coming of Messiah, this is his point. This is what he came to do. I've come to do this. At 12 years old, he knows what he's supposed to be doing. At 12 years old, he already has a, an idea, a concept of, of what's going on. In, in John chapter 4, verse 34, it says this, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me, and to accomplish His work. My food, my food is to do what God has sent me to do. Right? Isn't that what he's saying? John chapter 4. Now that's much later. He's 11 in our text this morning. He's in his 30s in the text in John. But this is his point. Man, I've got to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I've got to be bringing this work of redemption. Now here's what I want you to understand, because this is where we get confused. We think Jesus came to save people then. 
Okay, how do I want to say it? Jesus came to save 12 and have those 12 turn the world upside down. Jesus came to die on the cross. That's what he came to do. Is everybody tracking with me? So you'll read scripture and you'll see Jesus with this big group of people following him. And all of a sudden he'll say something controversial and they all leave. That's the opposite of how to build a big church, right? Don't make everybody mad every Sunday. Don't have a goofy haircut and grow a long beard, apparently. You're not supposed to do that either. So, look, Jesus would do that. Why? Because the, the, the nation of Israel is to reject him. So that he can die on the cross. So that he can pour out his spirit in the hearts of 12 men who are going to turn the world upside down. Jesus is making the way. He's providing the opportunity for salvation. He's opening the door. That's what he's come to do. And man, he wants to be busy about doing that. He wants to be busy about it. John 5.30, Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Interesting. Side note, we're getting ready to have another uh, roundtable discussion on the Trinity, not this Tuesday, but next Tuesday. And one of the concepts of personhood is the ability to have separate will. Here in this verse, you see Jesus has his own will and the Father has his own will. That's why we say three persons, one being. Separate wills. But here, Jesus, what's his point? What's he saying? I'm supposed to be doing my job. I got a job to do. I got, I got work to do. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I want to be about it. John 5, 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. The very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. He's come. When John pointed at him, what did he say? The Lamb of God that does what? Takes away the sin of the world, right? What did Jesus come to do? Die. Jesus didn't come to build the church. And we take sections of Scripture, then when He's talking about something specifically to His disciples, when, when we get confused and we get our brains rattled around, is when we start trying to take that which He intended for the twelve, that He was preparing them for a work to do, and then we try to blanket it on the whole church. And I don't know that that's right application. I think what we need to realize, Jesus came for a purpose. He said, I picked you 12, and I've only lost one. The one that we knew we were going to lose, the son of perdition. And I'm going to raise you all up on the last day. He said, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I got you. You 12, that's my mission. You're my mission. I've come to die on the cross, to pave the way for salvation for all mankind. And you guys are the mission through which I'm going to accomplish that. Look what the scripture says. John 6, 38. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. And this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Hey, Jesus is making a way. Specifically, He's going to save the twelve. He's going to save the twelve. Judas is going to be a son of perdition. They're going to choose one more guy. We can get in an argument later on whether or not you think that's a guy. I think it was, because they were filled with the Holy Spirit, praying in one accord when they picked Him. So I figure that's a good recipe for picking the right guy. Later on, God's going to raise up Paul for a special work. But as we look at these 12, this is the way. This is the way God's going to work. Jesus said, that's my Father's work. 
That's what I'm supposed to be doing. So what? So that people will believe in me, and those who believe in me will have eternal life. We'll see it in a, in a little while in John chapter 17. In John 8, 29. <clears throat> and he sent me, he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing him. What's Jesus saying? I'm about my father's business. Wherever my dad is, that's where I want to be. Wherever he is, wherever that empowerment is, wherever God is doing that work, that's where I want to be. John 12, 49 to 50. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment. What to say, what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. I only say the words the Father gives me to say. Why? Because His words are life. When we look at the book of, of Proverbs, what is the point of the book of Proverbs? The book of Proverbs is full of pithy sayings to help you understand the street signs on the road you're walking. There's two roads in the book of Proverbs. One of destruction, one of life. Jesus said, broad is the path that leads to destruction, right? It's not hard to find. Narrow is the way of eternal life. Why is it narrow? Because it's obeying God. When we obey God, we're walking the narrow path. We're walking the path of life. We're listening to what He said. When Jesus was asked, well then what works must I do? He was asked, what works must I do? And Jesus said, these works, believe on the one that the Father has sent. Put your trust in me. Jesus is making the way. Man, that's what He has come to accomplish that is what he has come to do. In his high priestly prayer, John 17, listen to this. <clears throat> when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. This is the moment. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you had given him authority over all flesh. To do what? To give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, by the way, I know I don't want to get off track, but this phrase, just so you're not confused, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Kai in the Greek links Jesus Christ to the only true God. They're all one being. In Greek. Now you can say that's not how it is in English. I don't know how to fix that for you. It was wrote in Greek. Pay attention to the Greek. The Greek is saying they're together. The only that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ. One. It's one. It's one phrase connected to one another. For I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work you gave me to do. I finished it. I've accomplished the work. I'm headed to the cross. Death, burial, and resurrection is going to open the door, pave the way, and the twelve are ready. They're ready. In John chapter 20, we're going to see that. John 17, 18. Here's what Jesus said. As you sent me into the world, what's he say? I have sent them. So they have a job to do too, right? The disciples, they got a job to do? What's that job? Share the, the gospel with everybody they see. What did they do? The Bible says they turned the world upside down. Why? Because they were busy about doing their father's work. Busy about completing or, or, or fulfilling the call that Jesus gave to them. 
doing the business that Jesus gave them. What about for you and I? John 20, 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father is sending me, so I am sending you. That's what he speaks to the disciples. Next, he breathes on them and says, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. He empowers them and then he tells them, Go in Acts 1.8 and wait for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit so that you can do the job that you've been called to do. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, what does Jesus say? All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore. That means that's a continuous action. Be continuously going. To do what? To spread the gospel. There's a job. There's a position. There's business that Jesus was about, and he understood it at 12. There's business that you and I are to be about, and we ought to understand it as well. Follow the example of those who have gone before us. Let's take a look at this business. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So part of being able to understand and comprehend this business of Jesus is having a comprehension of our spiritual development. We take a look at Jesus. What was he doing? He was growing, right? He's growing physically. He's growing in wisdom. He's growing in grace. Here's one of the things that we understand. It says in verse 40, the child grew and became strong. So one of the keys to being able to do that which God had called him to and what God is calling us to is to learn to rely on God's strength and not our own. The scripture says in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus Christ emptied himself. That means everything that Jesus did in his earthly ministry was not by his own strength. Everything he did was through the power of God. Through the power of the Father. The same thing is laid out for us. Can you rely on God's strength or will you only rely on your own ability? Can we rely on God's abilities to supply those things that we need? Listen to what Paul wrote in Ephesians. In Ephesians 3, Paul, praying this prayer for the church, says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit, In your inner being. What is it that Paul was praying for the church? That you'll rely on God's strength. That you'll be filled with His strength. Part of being filled with His strength means we also need to be filled with His Spirit. Right? It's the Holy Spirit that is that source of empowerment for us. One of the things you and I have to realize as we go forward and do the things God has laid out for us is that in in Psalm 127 verse 1 it says this, Unless the Lord builds a house, He labors in vain who builds it. If we're doing it ourselves, if we're making it on our own strength, it's like building your house on the sand. Right? What happens when the winds come? It comes down. There's no foundation. It won't stand. And great is its destruction. So we want to build our house on the rock, right? So we need the Lord to build the house. That's what the rock is. The rock is a picture of Jesus Christ. It says, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Look, you can be as prudent as you want to be. Have all the plans you want to have. You can run around 
packing iron 24-7. If it's your day to go, it is not going to help you. Unless the Lord watches, the watchman watches in vain. So how do I know if the Lord's watching? How do, how do I know what's going on with the Lord? That's the key. The first thing that Paul said there in that section in Ephesians is, I bow the knee to the Father. That means I'm not in charge. I bow the knee to the Father. It's not about me. It's your plan, God. What did Jesus say? I came not to do my will, but His, right? I came to follow those directions. We go through the same thing in our walk with God. We also must bow the knee to the Father. We also must submit ourselves to Him and say, Lord, I need You to build the house. Lord, I need You to protect it. Lord, I want to walk in wisdom. I want to walk in prudence. I want to walk in understanding. But above all, Lord, I want to rely on Your strength and not my own. I want to be about my Father's business. So I want to rely on Him. Next thing we see in this phrase, Jesus also was... Walking in wisdom. Look what it says. Not only did the child grow and become strong, he was filled with wisdom. Right? Filled with wisdom, guys. Filled with wisdom. Again, the whole book of Proverbs is all about that. Wisdom is personified in Jesus Christ. He is wisdom. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Wisdom. If we want wisdom, we need to be integrated in together with Him. Here's what Paul wrote in Ephesians 5. He said, look carefully. In other words, pay attention. Pay attention what road you're on. We go back to Proverbs again. What road am I walking? I don't know about you guys, but it seems like there's a lot of intersections in my life on the the road of life, the narrow way, and the broad path of destruction. Or maybe they don't, maybe it's the broad path of destruction that crosses that narrow wave. I don't know. Every once in a while I get on the wrong road. I don't know if you do that, but let me tell you times when that can occur. The Bible says that the wrath of man can never accomplish the righteousness of God. Anybody ever been filled with wrath? Then you were on the wrong road. So what does the Bible tell us to do about that? Pout? Complain? Oh, I'm on the wrong road. What do we do? I repent. I confess. What does repent mean? I change my direction. Right? I go back to that road. And in the seven letters to the seven churches, Jesus, in discussing repentance for those seven churches, listen to what he told him. He said, remember to, if, to the church at Ephesus, remember from where you have fallen. Remember where you got off the road. Repent. Turn around and go back. Go back. Get on the road. Well, how do I know the right road? The word of God. Every stinking word that the Lord gives us in the Word of God is there to guide us, give us street signs, put us on the right road. So I pay attention. What is it Paul saying? Look carefully then how you walk. Pay attention to how you're walking. Look where you're at. Look what road. Not like unwise, but as wise. Whole book of Proverbs talks about that. Be wise, not a fool. Be wise, not a fool. Be wise, not a fool. We want to be following the way of wisdom. How do I do it? Make the best use of the time. For the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. Don't be foolish. Don't take a wrong turn, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what God is calling us to do. Where do we find all that? By walking in God's wisdom. How do we walk in God's wisdom? We walk in the Spirit. 
Walk in the Spirit. That's what we want to do. In Acts 6.3, listen to how it puts it. Acts 6.3, Therefore, brothers, pick from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit, what's the next phrase? And of wisdom. You remember when I told you about that linking chi, the word and, with Jesus to God? Yeah, you got the same thing here. Full of the Spirit, chi, and, what's the next word? Wisdom. Where do we find wisdom? In the Spirit. In the Spirit, man, we we got to be walking in the Spirit. Because that is walking the narrow road. That is walking in wisdom. God's wanting us, He's directing us to walk that way just as Jesus did. In James 1.5, what did it say? If any of you lacks wisdom, do what? Ask, and who gives it to you? God! Oh, see how that works, right? In James 3.13, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Simplify it. Let him show he's walking the road of life. He's following the teachings of God's word. Oh, what's another way to say it? Jesus stood before his disciples and said, Come, follow me. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if we want to be on a road of life, who are we following? Jesus, right? We want to get right behind Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me, James 3.17 But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. You want to take a look at whether or not you're walking in wisdom? There's a checklist. You see one just like it in uh, in Galatians chapter 5 when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. And this section here in James we see in parallel. Colossians 4, 5 and 6 says this, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making best use of the time. Sounds familiar, right? Let your speech always be gracious, filled with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Yeah? Sometimes I know to answer, but I didn't give it very well. Fellas, you ever heard that from, from your wife? I'm the only one. It's not what you said, it's... See, you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah, we've heard that before, right? What is it? The Bible's laying out for us, guys, in Colossians 4, that walking in wisdom, walking in the Spirit, will have the right words, seasoned with grace, right? Seasoned with salt. They will be the right words that we want to be able to respond. So, this is key, guys, to understanding how how to be about... Our Father's business, that we're growing, that we're relying on God's strength, we're walking in His wisdom, and then finally we're responding to His grace. Look at the very end, the very last part of the verse, uh, that He was filled with wisdom, and the favor or grace of God was upon Him. Grace, favor, approval, that's all the same thing. So when we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, what does it say? Paul, talking about not relying on his own strength, he says this, He said to me, God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. So I don't need you to be strong. For anybody, is that good news? 
That's good news for me because I'm going to mess up. I'm not all that strong. Um, If you're filled with pride, that's going to be a hard one for you because you're pretty sure your strength is made perfect in yourself. But God says his strength is made perfect in my weakness. In my weakness. Acknowledging my weakness, raising my arms to him. That's what it is to stand in his grace in His favor, in His approval. That I'm not saying, I can do this myself. God, I got this one. But instead I'm saying, no Lord, I don't got nothing. I got. I bowed my knee to You, my King. I need You to give me strength. I need Your wisdom. I need Your grace. That's how we do the Father's work. That's what, that's what Jesus is accomplishing, guys. The next place we see, the next example in this section is in the discussion that Jesus had with the rabbis at the temple. Let's look at it. Verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. <coughs> and when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. And his parents didn't know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. And then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. I'm, I'm, I would be in a panic. You, you walked a day away. The soonest you're going to be getting back to Jerusalem is a day later, right? That's two. Right? One day without him, one day coming back, one day looking. One day looking. But look what it says in verse 46. After three days, they found him in the temple. Makes me think that they looked other places first. What do you think? Like, okay, 12-year-old boy is loose in the big city of Jerusalem. Where would he go? Maybe they check the, yeah, the arcades. Yeah, they're, they, I don't know what kind of arcades they had in those days, but they had something, I'm sure. Areas where the kids would go to play, right? Maybe, maybe they're checking at those places. Because look, I don't want you guys to, I want you guys to, to purge your mind of the idea that Jesus, as a child, was, was not like other children. Okay, I get he was more than other children. Yes, 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 all true. But he smiled, he played, he ran, he did all stuff kids do. Otherwise, what's the point of his humanity? Either he's human or he's not. Scripture says he's completely, utterly, totally, all human, all God. Yeah, I'm, I reconcile it in my own brain the best I can. My brain's not all that hot. But I know that's what the Word teaches. So he's, they're looking for him in all those places. Finally, I think they're going to the temple like, okay, we got to go tell God we lost Jesus. <laughs> and, then, and then they see him. And look, at, look at what Mary says. I'll never, I, it just blows my mind. He's sitting among the teachers... They find him sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answer. So let's take a look. What was it in the discussion that Jesus had that shows us something about what it is to be about our father's business? Well, first, listen to this part. He was, Jesus was listening to them. You you don't... There's a lot of guys I've talked to before that are so sure that I need to hear the sound of their voice. Listening is a struggle. My wife says I have that same disease. 
She said, since I became a preacher, I think that my voice is the most important one in the house. You guys don't think those discussions happen in my house? Just you? Uh, Jesus was a normal kid and Jackie's a normal husband, just so you know. So, but, but my point is, listen, the Son of God, being about His Father's business, was listening. Now, do you think the rabbis had it all right? But the very first thing that He's doing is what He told us to do. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Listen and hear what people are saying. Look, the, your, your biggest enemy to truth is Facebook. The second biggest enemy to truth is the internet. And the third biggest enemy of truth is the TV. What? Where am I going to find truth? Well, someplace else. Because those three things are, those are all spin doctors. Everybody know what a spin doctor is? They are all look at the same facts and then they spin it and throw it out there. And all the people who like that spin flock to it. All the people who like that spin flock to it. And then they just receive the application of the data as though it's absolute truth. So listen, here's how you'll be able to find much more fruitful communication with other people, especially the lost, if you learn to do what Jesus did with the rabbis. Listen. Listen to what they're saying. Hear why they're saying it. Listen for the heart of the man like Jesus did. Because a lot of times people would come to Jesus with a question and he'd answer something different. What did he answer? What was going on in their heart? Listen, hear what they're saying. So the first thing we see here, look, if I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to understand from Jesus' communication, his discussion in the temple, first, they're listening. He is listening to the teachers. Second, what is he doing? Asking them questions. You'll understand whether or not you heard what you think you heard if you ask questions, not make assumptions. Assumptions do not equal good communication with people, especially in a world who are lost. So first I listen, and then I need to ask questions like, I think this is what I'm hearing you say. Is this what you're saying? See, that, that keeps me engaged. Typically, what I do, because I like to argue. Anybody like to argue? No? I'm it? <laughs> I like to argue. That's why I love roundtable, because... We sit around and practice righteous arguing. And it, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. But it's we, I like to do it. But, but here's the problem with arguing. Sometimes you're already ready to answer before the guy's done talking. Ever notice that? And usually we do what? We want to interrupt, right? I want to interrupt. Okay. Go back to lesson number one. Listen. Then second, before you re, give a rebuttal... Ask questions about what they just said. Ask questions so that you know you understood correctly. Have you ever had somebody say something to you and you thought they were saying A, but that's not really what they were saying? Husbands? (laughs) There are a number of times my wife has, she'll even tell me, look, I know, Kathy's got this idea about a funnel. She says, I have a funnel 
And when she says things, it all goes into that funnel and goes into the garbage chute. And she says, look, you don't take your funnel away and listen to what I'm saying. And you know what? She's right. Most of the time I'm already making up decisions instead of really listening to what's being said. And that's what Jesus is doing. And then to, to, to emphasize that idea, look, he's asking them questions. And what happened? Look at the next phrase. And all who heard him were amazed. What's the next phrase? At his understanding. Listen, first, he understood what they were doing, what they were saying. He understood them. He under, that's kind of key, guys, to understand where people are. You can't, you can't go out with a baseball bat in witnessing all the time. And just whack people with a baseball bat and say, believe or I'm going to keep hitting you. Oh, it's not, what do we need to do? We need to listen. I'm not talking about compromise. I'm just saying, listen, hear their heart. Understand where they're coming from. And then look at the next thing. The next thing that Jesus did. Look, they were amazed at his understanding and his, what's the word? Answers. Answers? Yeah. Yeah, he had answers for them. He had answers. He had answers or, or at 12 years old, he's teaching rabbis. But look, he does it in such a way that the rabbis are kind of hanging around this 12-year-old kid being blown away because he's listening to them. He's asking good questions about what they said. He's understanding where they're coming from. And he has an answer. If we learn to do that, we'll find a lot more people willing to listen. I want to be about my father's business. I want to be able to talk like Jesus talked. I want to be able to say things like he said at the temple. I want to see these things making a difference. So we see he's astonishing those who, who at his understanding and his answers. But then you also see the amazement of his parents. Look at verse 48. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. <coughs> yeah. Okay. Again, let's... let's Take the craziness out of our mind. Mary's looking at a 12-year-old Jesus and saying, this is the baby I changed diapers for. I cuddled. I nursed at my own breast. I held when he cried. Uh, all of those, just like we think when we look at our kids. Right? It's all the same. The, the, the Bible is, is implanted in reality, not in fiction. It's, it's real life. It's, it's how it goes on. And so they're astonished at him. And so his mother said, Son, why have you treated us so? I could hear my mom saying that. Right? Why have you treated us so? <clears throat> and so, behold, your father and I have been searching you for you in great distress. Yeah, literal, total meltdown, freaking out. That's what that means. But they're astonished where they found him. Where did they find him? Not at the arcade. Right? Not out with the kids he shouldn't be hanging out with. Not, not out at the library. Whatever. He was in what? His father's house. He was at the house of God. He went to church. Crazy. And so they're astonished at, at where they find him. <coughs> They're astonished about it. And they were in great distress. Then look at the answer of Jesus. And so Jesus said to them, 
Why were you looking for me? The idea is they were looking multiple places. Are you guys tracking? Jesus is thinking, why were you looking multiple places? There's only one place I was going to be. At my father's house. Here. So he says, look, why did you, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? This is where I would be. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Anybody ever experienced that before? They, they're like, uh, I'm not sure I'm understanding what the 12-year-old is saying. I'm not understanding what's going on with him. But, but I want you to see in this answer of Jesus, uh, the next thing that we're led to from his answer is his submission, which is another mind-boggling point in and of itself. He's ready to, to be about the Father's work, but he's going to submit himself. In John chapter 9, verse 4, look, it says this, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Jesus is chomping. I want to go, but we can't hurry the work of God, can we? Can't rush the work of God. So we see this business of Jesus reflected in his own personal life. Look what happens next. His attitude toward his parents. Verse 51. So he went down with them, came to Nazareth, and what's the next phrase? If there was ever a child who, who might have had the right to, you know, question what his parents told him to do, maybe that had been Jesus, right? But that's not who he was. I love the the concept, guys, in the Marine Corps. We had this idea in the Marine Corps that in order to be a leader, you had to be there. Don't don't call me from your phone while you're watching me on a video screen to tell me what to do. The leader is the one in the mud with you. So Jesus doesn't say, obey your parents. What did he do? He obeyed them. Jesus doesn't just tell us to do things that he doesn't do, he provides the example, turns around and says to you and I, hey, this is the narrow road. This is the path to life. I'm on it. Come follow me. Come follow me. He's directing this attitude toward them. So they're submiss- he's submissive to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. She holds on to everything. Moms, don't you do that? Kathy's got like seven boxes in the garage full of memories. Kids' memories, somewhere, although I haven't seen it for a while, somewhere there's a little box of letters that we wrote back and forth when I was in boot camp. That, by the way, is a long time ago. Somewhere. I've I've opened it up and looked at it, and and literally I I think, wow, what a mushy guy I was back then. (laughs) We hold on to those things. What's it say here? Mary's treasuring these things in her heart. She's holding on to all these things. These are her nuggets. These are the stories that she's going to tell over and over again when she's together with her friends, just like you and I do, right? When we get together and we talk about the things we've been through, the memories we had, or the fun we had when we were camping, or the fun we had this day. Or you remember that time when I, you know, we left Joe at church and forgot him? Or whatever things. We sit around... And we talk about that stuff. The Bible says Mary treasured these things in her heart. It's anchored. The Word of God is anchored in reality. And then look at this. His 
the, the growth of the Son of God and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. Look, if we want to be about our Father's business, that needs to be true of us. Are we growing? Are we growing in wisdom? Are we growing in stature? Are we growing in favor with God? Are we, are we growing in His grace? Are we growing in His wisdom? In 1 Samuel 2.26, it says, Now the boy, Samuel, continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord, and also with man. So Samuel did. Samuel grew. There's another, uh, another verse uh, in, uh, in, in Samuel that says the exact same thing about David. That David was growing in wisdom and grace, and the grace of the Lord was with him. In Luke 1.80, it says the same thing about John the Baptist. It says, and the child grew, became strong in the spirit. All of these we see as example for us. Can't we do the same thing? Will you grow? Will you grow each and every day? Will you want to stand in his grace and in his wisdom? We also see this favor before God. David was in favor with God. God gave him grace. Acts 7, 45 and 46 says, Our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out from before our fathers. So it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of the Lord and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. So David found favor, found grace, growing in him we want that guys we want that in second timothy 2 15 here's what the word of god says do your best to present yourselves to god as one approved another way to say it another way to say it. do your best to present yourself to god standing in his grace in his favor being approved of God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Why? Because you're rightly handling the word of truth. Rightly handling. Spending time in God's word. Opening it up. Making it a part of our life. I want to be approved of God. I want to stand in His favor. I want to walk in His grace. I also want to stand in that same standing with men. Because it said of Jesus, these things were true with God and with men. Right? With God and with men. But we know that, that the natural man, the lost man, is, in, is, in, uh, is an antagonist to the believer. So how does that work? In, uh, in Acts chapter 2, it says, Day by day, the disciples, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. And having favor with all the people. What does that mean? All the people suddenly love them? Not what it means is they had a witness to all the people. They had a witness to them. The people could see them. The people could understand them. The people, the people could glean from what was going on in their life. Man, they're right here. They're, they're, they're having favor with the people. And so the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. Day by day those who were being saved. Why? As these, as these men and women just 
live their lives loving God, worshiping Him, growing in strength, trusting in God's strength, walking in God's grace, standing in God's wisdom. All of these things are true. And as they are true, not only do they find favor with God, they find favor with men. Men look and say, what's different? What's up? I need to talk to them. I need to understand why, how, who, what, where. And so it's the Lord who adds, not you. Not your incredible ability to to argue or or I have spent endless amount of time. I have, I have presented the greatest arguments known to mankind. Okay, maybe I'm a little prideful, but <clears throat> I have laid out these great arguments to the lost and still had them reject it. I don't save nobody. Who saves? Jesus does. Jesus does. What do I need to be doing? I need to be worshiping God, following God, relying on His strength, walking in His wisdom, standing in His grace, being that example, so that when there's an opportunity to speak, I have the word He wants me to say. And sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, they'll hear it, and sometimes they won't. But your job is to sow the seed. Someone else is going to come along, and maybe long after you, and drop a little water on it. Someone might come after that, drop a little manure. Whatever is necessary for that seed to germinate and grow. But who's the one who makes it grow? God. He adds. We just are faithful. We just need to be faithful, men and women, about our Father's business. I'm always blown away because, listen, I want you to understand. Jesus looked at His disciples, and you and I, and he said, greater works than I've done, you will be able to do. Now, we all, most often want to apply that to the miracles. But I, I want you to think about something just a little different. Jesus in his ministry, uh, prior to his ascension, saved 120 people. Some of the highest number of disciples who followed Jesus. You have the 12, which were the 12, and then numbers of up, up to 120, depending on, on where you're looking in the Gospels. And I think when Jesus looked at his disciples and said, greater things than this you're going to do, on the day of Pentecost, how many people got saved? 3,000. Then how many? 5,000. Then the Lord was adding day after day after day. Jesus saying, look, you guys are going to be able to do more than I did. I came for a purpose. I opened the door. I made the way. I'm standing at the front of the road, at the opening of the door, and I'm saying, come, follow me. This is the way. And then we go out and do the things that Jesus Christ has called us and asked us to do, and it's the Lord who brings the increase. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't do miracles, so don't, nobody go freak out and go crazy on me. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, think about that a little different. Think about that a little different. Maybe there's something else that God wants us to recognize. <clears throat> In Acts 7, 9 to 10, last scripture we'll look at, says the patriarchs who were jealous of Joseph sold him into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him out of all his affliction and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Joseph had favor with Pharaoh. Why? Because he had the best argument? Why did he have favor? He had favor because Pharaoh could see 
and hear about how Joseph lived his life. About the years he was in prison. About the years he was a slave. About how he walked with God. How he trusted God. How God moved and worked in his life. And it gave him favor with men. Grace with men. It opened up doors of opportunity, right? Then Pharaoh's like, Joseph, come on, you're my guy. That's what God does. He still does it today. This section of scripture, we see Jesus being about his father's business in his father's house. And my question for us is, will we be about our father's business in our father's house? Growing. Becoming the men and women God needs us to be. So that he can add to the church daily. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to come before you. An opportunity to turn our eyes from the word to just this time of prayer, God, where I pray, Lord, we may come, enter into your throne of grace with boldness, knowing, God, that you have paved the way. You have opened the door. The the veil was rent. And now we can stand before you and say, God, I want to be this man. I want to be this person who is totally committed to you, God, and totally submitted to you. I want to walk in the power of complete surrender. I want to see this growth that we see, even in the life of Jesus as a child, I want to recognize the reality that, that if I could just really be who I'm supposed to be, following Jesus on the road of life, walking the path, paying attention to the street signs, knowing what I'm doing and where I'm at, that I may have favor with men so that they can hear the gospel when opportunity arises to give it. But God, if I'm walking on the same road they're walking on and and yelling in their ear about the gospel, what are they going to listen? What are they going to see? God, we say so often we want to see revival moving through our nation. Revival needs to start with me personally. I need to draw that circle around me in the prayer closet and say, start revival in that circle. In my heart, focused on you, in my adoration. God, teach me to love you with all my heart. Teach me to walk with you. Teach me to rely on your strength. Teach me to walk in your wisdom. By the power of your spirit, teach me to stand in your grace. Teach me to listen to those who are different than me. Teach me to ask them questions. Teach me to understand the brokenness of man that I say I believe in. Teach me to have the answers that I need to have when I need to have them. Man, there's so much here that we can glean, God. So many things that we can take. And I pray, Lord, it be not only my desire, but our desire corporately as a body of Christ, to say, man, God, I need you to be king. I need you to rule. I need to be paying attention. What does the street sign say? 
Am I where I'm supposed to be? Is this the attitude that God wants me to have? Is this the answer that God wants me to give? I need to be in prayer continuously. All these things that we think about, God, I just pray that you would help us to realize that they're natural realities. It's not some, something that's inattainable, God. It's, it's something that men have done before us. Samuel, David, John the Baptist, about every hero of faith that we can go back and look in Hebrews chapter 11. They all did it. And they were, they were men just like us. The Bible says Elijah was just like me. But when he prayed, it stopped raining. And when he prayed again, it rained. God, teach us. Teach us to, to pull ourselves out of this, this religious stupor that we're in. And step into the reality of a relationship with the God of the universe. So that we can hear and see and know and we are a part, God, of what you're wanting to do in our communities, in our neighborhoods. Wherever we find ourselves, Lord, we can be the difference makers. God, help us to learn the lesson that you are teaching us from your word that we might glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going we're gonna to close out in a word of worship. And as we do, if the Lord's laid something on your heart, if you're going through something and you need prayer, there's folks up front that want to pray with you guys and encourage you.